Luke chapter 5 is where we are today. Y'all, I got a new Bible. Look, y'all. Can, would you notice if I hadn't told you? You would notice because usually my Bible, I roll it up in the smallest little roll and put on my arm or something. But this one's new, y'all. It's purple goat skin. Like a purple goat somewhere <laughs> gave me some skin and, and, and made my Bible. Casey said, don't get purple. She said it would be distracting. Is this too purple? Y'all gonna be okay with this? Because I'll, 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 I'll have it a long time. Luke chapter 5 is where we will be today. Right, so jump in. I'm going to start a new sermon series today from now to Easter entitled The Man in the Making. We're talking about the life of Simon Peter. Today we have at least three overflows in this building. We have cafe, we have choir room, we have other choir room. And I'm excited. Thank you guys for being in worship today. Thank you for being uh, flexible enough to go to another room. Uh, it ain't always going to be this way, y'all, but it's how it is right now. And I love the fact that you come to be together. I love worship, and I know that we can watch sermons uh, on video and on screen, but there's nothing like experiencing the presence of God with people, with other people. And, and I preach in this empty room toward that camera for so many months, just, just, and I've learned that, that there's something extra, there's something special. Jesus said whenever two or three are together in my name, that he promises a different kind of manifestation of his presence when we get together with each other. And so it's important to gather together. So in the choir rooms, uh, wherever you are today, cafe, God bless you guys. Make sure you exchange names. Don't worship with strangers. And I'd find out who's buying lunch on my way out the door. Uh, I works in this room too. You know, get to know somebody, they might take you to lunch. Luke chapter 5, verses uh, 1 to 11 is where we'll be today. Back uh, when I was growing up, Brian Adams used to sing a song that explained a lot of the wisdom of life. Uh, it went, uh, I got my first real 16, bought it at the five and dime. You know this song? I played it till my fingers bled. And that's the line right there that explains why I don't play guitar. <laughs> Seriously. I played it till my fingers bled. Like, who does that? Who, who plays till your fingers bleed? I actually took a group guitar class when I was a kid. Anybody else take guitar lessons? Yeah, quite a few. How many of you now play guitar? Yeah. Yeah, we know Bethany does. Debbie, you play guitar? Oh, now we know. Now we know. You're going to up your next week, uh, Debbie. Uh, I, I don't play guitar. I'm a 55-year-old man who took guitar lessons, a group class, but I never learned to play guitar. You want to know why? Because I refused to play until my fingers bled. I mean, seriously. My teacher said that I would just have to play through until I got calluses. Y'all know how you get calluses? Like calluses are what happens after your fingers bleed. Uh, I ain't doing that. Now, I tried. I had a guitar, and I would try to play. I was in a group class. And in a group class, it's different because I never really played by myself. I was always playing with a group. So when we were going to play a G7, we'd all play a G7. I say we all, I didn't. I never really learned the chords. But I would kind of, you know, like everybody else. And, and it felt like I was playing. Because when I would do this, you know, I'd hear music because other people are playing. That's the beauty of taking group lessons. It was a long time. And it was a long time before I realized I couldn't play guitar. I mean, seriously, because in the group, I always felt like I was playing. But I wasn't. I, I really wasn't. I never learned the chords. And when I was by myself, when I was kind of singled out, it would be obvious I can't play guitar. And so I'm standing on this stage wishing I could. Man, I, oh, gosh, you know, it'd be so different. Casey, you could be married. You'd be married to a rock star. <laughs> but no, no. Uh, 
primarily because of my lack of commitment. Understand? You got to practice. You got to learn the chords. You got to play until your fingers bleed. And I ain't doing that. My hands, these are preacher's hands. Oh, these are soft as a baby's bottom right here. No, 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 no bleeding fingers. I say this because I want us to talk about commitment and the way commitment singles you out, especially as a follower of Jesus. There is this tendency for some of us to follow Jesus, but we don't really follow Jesus. We, we follow along. Kind of the way in guitar lessons I was playing along, but I really wasn't playing. Y'all know the difference there? I really wasn't playing. I was playing along. And some of us don't really follow Jesus. We just sort of follow along. So we follow along with, with the crowd, we follow along with the church people, or we follow along with whatever we're doing on Sunday morning, but, but honestly, it's not really following Jesus, it's, it's, it's following along, because when you get serious, when there's real commitment behind your discipleship, it'll single you out. And that brings us to the man, Simon Peter, from the New Testament. Simon Peter is, is honestly, after Jesus, after Paul perhaps, one of the men that we feel like we know the best from the New Testament, from Scripture, because he's all in there. I mean, he is one of the most devoted men you'll ever see, and that devotion, that commitment singles him out in the New Testament. He is singled out constantly. In every single list of the apostles, for example, the 12, Simon is always named first which is probably an indication that he was their leader. I mean, Jesus was their leader, but it was Simon who was sort of the leader of the 12. I mean, let's just be honest. On the day of Pentecost, when somebody needed to step up and speak on behalf of the apostles, it was Simon Peter who stepped up first. Commitment has a way of singling you out like that. Simon's always first. In our passage today, you'll notice that Simon is the first person in all of the scriptures, in all the New Testament, Simon's the first person to confess his sin to Jesus. Simon is the first person to uh, ask a question every time Jesus leaves a moment of silence. And Simon is the first one to answer a question whenever Jesus asks a question, and that always, always ends badly for him. But still, he is there. He's going to answer first. Simon is the first one out of the boat to walk on the water. Understand? Singles him out. Commitment has a way of doing that. Simon is the first one in the Garden of Gethsemane, the only one as far as we know, who drew a sword. And what did he do? He took out a sword and he cut off the dude's ear. I am fairly certain he wasn't aiming for the ear. But Simon is a fisherman and not a swordsman. He was going for the head, but he went for the ear instead, and so he's known for that. But you know, he had the sword, and he's the only one. I mean, that's Simon. It's his commitment, man. Commitment has a way of singling you out. In the New Testament, Simon's name is mentioned something like 300 times. To put that in perspective, the apostle John, his name is given something like 31 times. Just understand the sheer magnitude of references to this man, Simon. That's why so many of us feel like we know him. Like if you talk about the disciples, we say, man, you know, Simon Peter, I relate to him. He's relatable. He's relatable because you know so much about him. We know so much more about his emotional life because we're very often told exactly what Peter was feeling. Exactly what he said, exactly what he did. So, so I want to take a number of weeks and just sort of walk through the scriptures, walk through the New Testament and look at the life of Simon Peter. Now to Easter. Here's the thing you're going to realize though. As much as I talk about Simon, it's not ever going to be about Simon. 
It's just not about Peter. It's going to be about Jesus. Because here's the thing. Simon is the kind of man that lived his life so that it is impossible for me to tell you Simon Peter's story and not also at the very same time tell you the story of Jesus. Let me stop right there. Uh, I'm your pastor, which means, Lord, I ain't, and I don't want to do this anytime soon, but probably if I don't go anywhere, I'm going to preach your funeral or you're going to preach mine. But that's kind of our deal, right? I mean, we're going to bury each other. One or the other goes first. And, and, and chances are, I may, I may preach some of your funeral. And people say, Pastor Tim, you know, when you preach my funeral, I want you to talk about Jesus. And I will. I promise I will. But honestly, the funeral sermons that, uh, that I love, the funeral sermons that bring great joy and comfort are the ones where, where I, I can preach your, I can tell the story of your life and I can't possibly talk about you without talking about Jesus. No. You see, that's a disciple's life. That's a life well lived. And God help me, that's the life I want to live right there. I, I want to live my life in such a way where when I'm gone, y'all can't possibly tell stories about me without at the same time having to tell stories about Jesus. You know, that's the way Peter lived his life. That's the way you have to live your life. And that's why it's worth looking at this man's life. The the life of Simon Peter, man in the making. Let's start in Luke chapter five, verse one. One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So Jesus sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. When he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And and this time, their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Okay, let's just stop right there and let's all acknowledge. That's what he says. Lord, get away from me, go away. But I promise you that's not what he wants. That's not what he wants. Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For for he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, let's just stop right there again. We're going to read Simon's story for a couple of weeks here. Y'all just pay a lot of attention to how many times Jesus has to say, don't be afraid. Like that's going to be something Jesus is going to say to Simon a lot. So Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. They left everything. They left everything and followed Jesus. Like, seriously, what, what do you think about that? Like, like when I mentioned Simon Peter and we all acknowledge that he's like a Bible character that we all know. I mean, he's just like in all the stories in the New Testament. I mean, 
a lot of the miracles of Jesus are right there around Simon. I mean, everything's kind of all around Simon. He's one of those main characters. So when I say we're going to talk about what, what, what do you think? Our problem, especially those of us who grew up in church, I mean, going to church is a good thing, but, but we often read the Bible and we read it in such a way where we just think of like, you know, Bible characters, like they all live in a different kind of world. And, and certainly this is, you know, 2,000 years ago in ancient Palestine. It's a different culture, different world. But make no mistake, Simon was a real man. He's just a guy. Simon lived a life, and his life was as real as your life and as real as my life. He, he was a human being. He was a guy. He's just a guy. And he met Jesus, and Jesus changes his life. I mean, so you just got to understand. I, I want to kind of somehow erase the halo uh, so that you can begin to relate to Simon as, as a man, as a human being like you, so that you'll understand that the way it looks when Simon follows Jesus is what it's going to look like when you follow Jesus. I mean, Simon's just a man. His life is just a real life. If you're having trouble with that, let's, just, let's go there. This is uh, true, true. This is the picture of the Sea of Galilee, and a number of you in our congregation have been here. It, it's, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. This is the Sea of Galilee in, in real life. This is what it looks like, those stones on the shore. This is a monstrous body of water in Israel, and, and this is the very same sea, the very same lake beside which you know, Simon Peter spent his whole life. He lived beside these waters, he swam in these waters, he drank these waters, he bathed in these waters, he fished in these waters. I mean, his whole life never really went very far from this body of water, the Sea of Galilee. For that matter, Jesus' life was pretty much lived around the same sea. I mean, this water, this right here, it's an actual place, it's there, and it hasn't changed. I mean, 2,000 years, the Sea of Galilee is still the Sea of Galilee, and the city of Capernaum is still there. Now, it's in ruins, but Simon lived in Capernaum, and we know that he lived in Capernaum, and we know where Capernaum is, and this is Capernaum. Now, it looks kind of small because it was small, and these are ruins. I mean, you can see that the houses, the shops, most everything is, is nearly gone, but not completely gone. This is a very recent photograph, and you can see right here that the Jewish synagogue is still there. Like, you can see it. And like, those are the same walls. Those are the same stones. Jesus was in that synagogue. Simon Peter lived two doors down from this synagogue. We know that. We know it because in the scripture, there's a place where it says Jesus and the disciples walked out of the temple at Capernaum and walked straight into Peter's house. So he lives about two doors down. He does. And we know that because his house is right there. Now, this is not his house. You're thinking, dang, man, that's a nice house that the fishermen... No, this is actually a church that they built over the site where Peter's house was. And the church has a glass floor so you can look down and literally see Peter's house. Okay. Now I'm a skeptic on most of these things. Like if I go to any kind of historical tour and they say that rock right there, that rock right there, President Grover Cleveland lit a cigarette on that rock right there. I'm thinking, no, he did not. Man, that's a rock. You could point to any rock anywhere and say, that rock right there, man, that's, that's something happening right there. And, and I'm kind of like that with, even with the Holy Land sometimes. They say, this is the place. I'm thinking, how do we know this is the place? I mean, you know, how do we know it's the place? It's been 2,000 years. But y'all, we're pretty sure this is the place. 
There's so much evidence. I mean, again, we know where Capernaum is. We know where the synagogue is still sitting there. And we pretty much know where Peter's house is. And this is what it looks like today. Now, here's the glass floor that's in the church built over it. And, and these are the walls. This is what remains of Simon's actual house. Like, this is it. This is Simon's actual house. He lived there. It ain't much. You look at it thinking, man, it looks like a pile of rocks to me. It was kind of a pile of rocks when he lived there. Because this is how they built their houses. He never really had a lot of money. This is just what houses look like. This house would have had some sort of thatched roof, you know, with maybe some tiles, some branches. This is Simon Peter's house, y'all. He was a man who lived in a town called Capernaum and he had his own house. We know he was a fisherman. Probably nearly everybody in Capernaum was, was a fisherman. Surely, I mean, that's what you do. You got a lake full of fish out there and not a lot of ways to make money in the ancient world. So they fished in Capernaum for generations. We know that Peter was a fisherman. We know that his brother Andrew was a fisherman. We know that Andrew, his brother, lived with him. We also know that Peter had a wife. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. Like, that's in the Bible. Simon had a wife. He had a wife. Loved his, Simon loved his wife. You know, in the letters of Paul, Paul makes mention to how everywhere Simon when he took his wife with him. You don't think about that, do you? Like when it says Jesus, you know, called Peter to follow him, Peter left everything to follow. You, you, you just forgot about his wife. Like you just thought she stayed home, watched Netflix. So he, you know, she went with him. Like women went with him. Simon's wife went with him. She followed Jesus too. We know this. Paul talks about that. Peter's wife always went with them. And according to church tradition, they, were, they died on the same day. Simon and his wife died on the same day. Um, they killed her first so that the last thing Simon would see would be his wife dying for Jesus. And they say that Simon stood there and watched his wife die, and he called out to her, Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. And she died, and then he died. I mean, he loved his wife, and they lived in his house, you all. And he lived with his mother-in-law, <laughs> which explains why he needed Jesus so much. You know, and, you know, he literally lived with his mother-in-law. We know this. The scripture says that the mother-in-law lived in the house. We, we know all this. I mean, this isn't like me you know, being a preacher, making stuff up. This is the stuff we know, and this is the house. Like, like Simon lived in his house with, with his wife and his mother-in-law and his brother Andrew, we know that Jesus came to this house. We know that. Like Jesus, probably sometimes from what the scripture says, he stayed here. Like when Jesus was in Capernaum, he stayed in this house with Peter and Andrew and Peter's wife and the mother-in-law. I mean, you know, the more the merrier, they just all came in and Jesus was in this house. We know that. Like he stayed in Peter's house. He, he, he spent nights there. We also know, y'all know the story about where, uh, where you know, they're in the house. It says that Jesus was in the house in Capernaum where he was staying, this house, right? Jesus was in this house. And this is where it happens where they want to bring the lame man to Jesus, but they can't get in because the house is too full. Now do you understand how little this house is? Like it was full of people, no way to get the man to Jesus. So what did they do? They ripped Simon's roof off his house. It's Simon's house, y'all. Like they ripped the roof off of this house to drop him in so he could see Jesus. Like all of that is right here. That's Simon's house. I'm just telling you to read the Bible closely and this is what you learn. This was all Simon. This is his house. Here's my favorite part. This is just small, but I love this so much, you all. Okay. What do those look like? 
Yeah, because that's what they are. So fishing, so what do these look like? These look like what your dog leaves on the carpet, but, but what are those really? Any idea? Yeah, they're weights, they're net weights. In the country, we call them sinkers, right? These are sinkers, fishing sinkers. Y'all, these are fishing hooks and net weights found in the dirt at Peter's house. Did you just love that? Like, you know, he's in a hurry one day and spilled his tackle box, you know, and uh, Peter was a fisherman. Probably his father was a fisherman. We don't know it, but y'all, his father's name was Jonah. Like, that's the best name ever for a fisherman. Will you not just agree with me? Like, if you're a fisherman, be named Jonah, because that's just, that's terrific. So, so understand this. This is Peter's life, and it's a good life. He has married a good woman that he loves, and they're going to stay together to the end. I mean, she's a good woman, and mother-in-law lives with them, and his brother lives with them. They're in business together with a couple of their buddies, James and John, who are also brothers, and they got a pretty good fishing business. This is all clear in Scripture. However, this Luke chapter 5 story, what we just read together, this is not the first time that, that Simon meets Jesus. Again, You've got to sort of dig in the scripture and really sort of piece these things together. But this is what we're about to do. So John chapter 1 tells us the story of when Simon first met Jesus. Remember how it happened? John chapter 1 starts with John the baptizer, right? John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was preaching this amazing sermon of repentance and calling people to be baptized for the, you know, repentance in repentance of their sins and in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, right? And then when John the baptizer saw Jesus, what did he say? Behold the Lamb. This is the one I've been telling you about, the Lamb that takes away the, 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 the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb. And then John said, he must increase, I must de- decrease. And John the Baptist started pointing his disciples to Jesus. And according to the Gospel of John, one of those disciples, probably two of those disciples, were Andrew and his brother Peter. Now, we know Andrew was, but we also know that as soon as Andrew met Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was go find Peter And so Andrew brought his brother, Simon Peter, to meet Jesus. That's the first time they met, John chapter 1. So that's the first time they meet. That was some time ago before we get to Luke chapter 5. We know that after that, Jesus started coming and going from Simon's house. We know that. The scriptures tell us that. Jesus started coming and going. We know that Jesus would stay in that house. We know that at some point, Simon's mother-in-law became very, very ill. So Jesus is in the house. He looks over, you know, and, and you know, Mamaw's over there hacking and coughing with the COVID. And Jesus says, I ain't staying in a house with the COVID, you know. And so Jesus goes over and just heals her, miraculously heals Simon's mother-in-law in Simon's own house. That's amazing. That's amazing. Sometime after that, Jesus steps into Simon's boat one day and uh, preaches and then Invite Simon to cast the nets out on the other side, and uh, Simon gets the catch of a lifetime. Luke chapter 5 is probably about a year later. So Jesus and Simon have been acquainted. They've known each other pretty closely, but it's been about a year. Now, the thing about Jesus, he's a teacher, right? And he has disciples. The disciples a student, right? So the thing about Jesus is he never asks his disciples to do anything that he doesn't demonstrate first. He's that kind of teacher. Watch him in Scripture. He'll always do it, and then he'll, he'll invite them to do it, but he'll show them how to do it first. 
In Luke chapter 5, what's Jesus going to ask Simon to become? What's Simon going to do? He's going to be a a fisher of people, a fisher of men. So just pay close attention because long before Jesus calls Simon to be a fisher of people, that's what Jesus does. And that's what Jesus has been doing. So if Simon didn't know at first what was happening... Jesus was casting out his net to bring Simon in. Jesus has been drawing Simon in. If you ever wonder what being a fisher of a person looks like, this is what it looks like. This is what Jesus does for Simon. So at the end of the story, it says plainly, as soon as they landed, as soon as they got the boat back to the shore, they left everything. By they, we're talking about Peter, Andrew, James, John, but we're talking about Simon Peter. He leaves everything to follow. He leaves everything to follow Jesus. What that means for you and me is the same thing. You got to surrender your whole life to Jesus. Now, when I say this, what I mean is you must surrender your whole life to Jesus. Like it's that simple. You must surrender your whole life to Jesus. The scripture says Simon left everything and followed Jesus. He left it. Just left it, which is to say everything he'd always known, everything he'd always had, he would walk away from it for the sake of the life that he could have with Jesus. He left everything to follow Jesus. Did he though? I mean, let's just be really, really honest and clear about this. What did that look like? I already said that he took his wife with him, so he, 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 he leaves everything, but he, he didn't leave his wife, y'all. I mean, don't go there. I mean, he didn't leave his wife. He took his wife with him. He left his mother-in-law. I get that. No, Sue, you're probably watching. I love you. Other mothers-in-law we're talking about. He left his mother-in-law. He left his business. Now, he was never a fisherman like that again. I'm not saying he never fished again. He did. We know he fished again. At the end of the Gospel of John, Peter's fishing again. I mean, it's not the last time he's going to wet a hook. Well, what exactly are we talking about? What's it mean to surrender everything, to leave everything and follow Jesus? Because honestly, what it means is you have to surrender everything. I mean, you do. I'm not now saying that what the Bible says is not what the Bible says. This is what Peter does. It's what you've got to do. But what exactly does Jesus ask him to do? What's it mean to be a disciple in the New Testament? How does it begin? Jesus just walks up to ordinary people and he says what? Follow me. Come, follow me. Walk with me. And that's what Simon does. I mean, as I said, they never really got very far from that one sea. I mean, they didn't go far. It's not so much that Jesus takes them, you know, geographically to, you know, a whole new world. No, it's the same old world. Same shore, the same sea that he lived his whole life on. But the idea is still, it's going to be a very different kind of life. When you give your life to Jesus, it's going to be a very different kind of life. But, but honestly, you don't just do that one time. Peter becomes a man in the making on this day, which is to say what Jesus is going to do, it starts here, but it's going to continue way past this. I mean, way past years to come. It's going to last until Peter's going to stand before Jesus and see him face to face in glory. I mean, it lasts that long. It's a lifelong process of transformation. I mean, Peter's absolutely going to leave everything on this day and follow Jesus, but He's going to continue to do that. I mean, you just got to continue to do that. You understand what I'm saying? Have you ever tried seriously to follow Jesus? 
Sometimes you think you've left it all. I mean, you really have made that kind of commitment, but you travel through that season of your life. You come to another moment and you realize that that there are parts of your life that you didn't realize that you had held on to. There are corners of your heart that somehow you never let the light of Jesus shine upon. It's a lifelong process of laying it all down, leaving everything. You're going to be doing this the rest of your life. It doesn't all happen up front. You have to surrender your whole life to Jesus. Simon does. But notice how it happens. It's slower than you think. Remember, he met Jesus around the John the Baptist days with Andrew, his brother, and Andrew brought him, made the introduction. Peter never laid eyes on Jesus till that day. That was an important day for Simon, but he went back to work, he went back home. Jesus started coming to his house, you know, that's interesting. The, the idea that Jesus was like coming into his house, like that Jesus would come to his house and then stay the night, maybe stay a week, maybe stay a month, because that's how it happened. Jesus would stay in Simon's house every time he was in Capernaum, just became a, a permanent member of the family. But then notice once Jesus is in the house, Jesus is still going to be Jesus. See, when you invite Jesus in your house, you can't think that Jesus is going to stay up in the guest room and you're just going to take him his meals. No, if Jesus comes into your house, he comes into your house to take over the house. He's Jesus And the first thing we know is once Jesus is in the house, he's exercising his power. He's healing Simon's mother-in-law. I mean, this is how Jesus works. He's not going to step around things that are broken. He's not going to step around things that need healing. He's going to put his power to where his power needs to be exerted. This is how Jesus operates. When he comes in, he takes over. So he's been in Simon's house. I've been out of Simon's house. And Jesus exerts his power in that house. It changes everything in that house. There's a whole sermon right there, you all. I mean, just right there. Um, See, for us, we like that idea back in Bible school when when we were told that we could invite Jesus into our heart. Now, some of you are grown up and you should probably have a, a... a more mature sense of what it means to give your life to Jesus, but, but you still like the idea of giving your heart to Jesus because honestly, that's about all you want. Like you want about enough Jesus to fill your shirt pocket. Like about that much and no more. Because if you had very much more of Jesus, he'd be all up in your life. And you don't want that. I mean, let's just be honest. We like to compartmentalize our lives. So like we we sort of draw lines and walls and we give Jesus this part, but we don't give him the rest of it. You know, we'll give him our Sunday mornings. We'll give Jesus our church life, but we do not want him anywhere near our life life. You know what I mean? Like your life life. And so we call ourselves Christians. We say we're following him, but there are very unsurrendered parts of our lives. In, in COVID, a lot of married couples have really struggled, and some of you have really struggled, and God bless you. I know you fought hard to be where you are. God bless you. I know it's hard. COVID was hard. 2020 was hard. I was working with a, a Christian couple whose marriage just collapsed. I mean, just collapsed. I mean, everything it Collapsed. And in my conversations with them, they asked me, Pastor Tim, is it possible that I can be a Christian and she can be a Christian, but that we don't have a Christian marriage? 
Yes, that's possible. It's really sad what it took for them to realize that. But you had a Christian man and you had a Christian woman who'd been in a marriage for 20-something years and now realize we've never had a Christian marriage. Understand how you just sort of compartmentalize? You You give Jesus parts of your life, but you don't really let him in your house. I mean, let's just... I mean, some of you husbands and wives, that's a conversation you need to go home and have. Did you even have a Christian marriage? I mean, you're a Christian man. Does that make you a Christian man at work? Because I'd love to interview some of the people you work with. I'd love to talk to some of your clients. For that matter, I'd just like to interview some of your golf buddies because your vocabulary on the golf course is not the same as your vocabulary in deacons meeting. It's kind of interesting the way your life is sort of segmented off and And that's not how it works with Jesus. That's not how it works. Jesus comes into Simon's house and his power takes over and begins to change the life of his family. And then this moment in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus steps into Simon's boat, now this is where he works, this is where he lives. Simon probably spends more time in that boat than anywhere else of his life. I would say he spends more time in that boat than he does in his own bed. I mean, the life of a fisherman is hard. When Jesus finds Simon in Luke chapter 5, Simon is washing his nets because that's all fishermen ever do is is wash their nets. You're always washing nets or mending nets. I mean, it's just work. And Simon's life is all about work. And and this is where he works, that boat. Understand? In in a lot of ways, men think of it as like, that's Simon's floating man cave. Like, that's his. And now Jesus steps in the boat. And what does Jesus do? Jesus does what Jesus always does. Jesus starts commanding right there in Peter's own boat. Simon, why don't you push that net out there in in deeper water? Put it out there. Let's go fishing. Okay, here's the deal. Did I mention Simon would just, he just finished washing his nets? Like he mended and washed his nets, which is a big job. And he worked all night, Lord. He, 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 he worked second and third shift. And he's exhausted. And he, he really hadn't planned on being Jesus' floating pulpit for this sermon. But now Jesus has been preaching way too long. Simon's been working on his net. So while Jesus was preaching, Simon has completely put all the fishing gear where it goes because Simon just is counting down the minutes till Jesus gets out of that boat and Simon goes home to bed. Like that's his plan. But then Jesus says, hey, Simon, I think this would be a great day for fishing. Throw that net out. That net you just mended and washed and folded up and put away. Throw it back out. What Jesus does, you know. Now he's commanding this part of his life. I mean, this is how it works. I'm telling you, you got to surrender your whole life to Jesus. It's not going to be where you're just going to be like a church man or church woman, but then you can go home and be some other kind of woman. None of this works that way. And that's not how it works with Simon. Now Jesus casts in that, Jesus draws him in. I'm telling you, there's a process to this. But I'm telling you, it doesn't really become anything other than this. Jesus begins to take over every single part of Simon's life, his home life, his work life. And then now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Simon does what Jesus says. And and I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's a miracle. It's an amazing thing. I mean, you just got to try to picture it. I mean, Simon has fished in this lake for all of his life. He has done this a million times, but this never happened. Never. 
Simon puts that net in the water just like Jesus said. And I mean, instantly, that net is so full of fish, it's sinking the boat. That never happens. Simon starts yelling for help. You know, everybody else, all the other fishermen start coming over, you know, getting fish. He's like, they didn't catch anything either, but now, you know, they're all getting it out of Peter's boat. I mean, and then all the boats start sinking. There's never been this many fish in one net in history. Now, if you're a fisherman like Simon, that's a good day right there. Like, that's what you hope for. Like, actually, that's better than you would hope for. I mean, you never imagine that kind of catch of fish. That just doesn't happen. I mean, how many times he's thrown it out and got nothing or thrown it out and just get a dozen fish? He's never had so many fish it would sink multiple boats. This is like winning the lottery. In Simon's world, this is everything. I'm not saying he could probably like cash that check and retire, but he could cash that check and get a really nice condo in Florida. He could. He may not be able to retire, but he don't have to work tomorrow, probably not the next day, probably not till like next year. I'm being serious. I mean, that's like winning the lottery. So why is it when this happens, when it says Simon realized what had happened, it's like he's won the lottery, only Simon's not acting like a winner. He's not acting like a winner here. I didn't expect him to do what he did. Did you, did you see this coming? When Simon saw what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, go away, get away from me. What's that about? I guarantee you that's not what he wants. Jesus met him there beside the Jordan River with John the Baptist and Jesus came into his house and healed his mother-in-law and began to change the life of his family. And now Jesus is in his boat and commanding his work life. And now all of a sudden, there's only one more place for Jesus to take over. And Simon realizes that. He realizes that the only place left is the man he is on the inside, you know? It's his heart. It's like the only thing right now that Jesus hasn't stepped into and taken over. And Simon says, you're going to have to get away from me. You've got to get away from me. Go. Why? I think in this moment, Simon understands something about himself, something about his sin. I think he understands something about who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a really, really good man or a really, really good teacher. Somebody who knows a lot of the Old Testament. Guy who's obviously really good with, you know, healing mothers-in-law and fishing. Simon realizes this is holiness. This is holiness. What is it about being seen by Jesus? What is it about knowing that Jesus is about to see sin and come into his sinful, messy life? So he could get away. But what does Jesus say? I I told you, he says words he's gonna say a whole bunch of times to Peter. In other moments, it's gonna be other things that make Peter afraid. But at this moment, what's making him afraid? the, the, The fear of being seen, that fear of Jesus now taking over everything. Get away from me. And Jesus says, Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this. And what happens from here is an incredible life change. It's going to take time. Peter is going to walk with Jesus. He's going to be just to follow Jesus. And it's going to be an amazing adventure. But this is just where it starts. Everything Jesus is going to do is going to be done along the way, just like in your life. All you're being asked to do today is, is take the step. 
take the next step. And everything Jesus is going to do, he's going to do it along the way. All you got to do today is take the next step. Peter does not necessarily agree with what Jesus wants. Jesus says, hey, put the net in right there. And Peter's thinking, that's the dumbest idea I ever heard. I fished all night long. Ain't no fish in there. I mean, you know, he doesn't have to agree. He doesn't, Lord knows he doesn't understand. But, but yet this transformation begins. And the, the transformation happens with an exchange of words. And it's, I'll, I'll be done in a second. This exchange of words is important. They're simple words. And that's why I'm afraid if I don't like show you them, you'll miss them. So Simon goes first. Simon says words, words to Jesus that set his life on a whole new course, a whole new direction. And what are those words? Very simply, Simon says, if you say so, verse five, master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night, didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, do you understand what happens right there? That's a surrender right there. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree with what you're saying. But if you said it, whatever you say. See, that's the attitude of a servant. That is a person who's now just giving up and letting Jesus have control. And this is what you have to do. This is where it begins. If you say so. I I think the Greek is literally at your word, according to your word. Whatever you say. You get that idea? Whatever you say. It's where it begins for Simon. It's where it begins with you. If you say so. Whatever you say. Y'all seen the movie Princess Bride? Hands up. Have you seen it? Like, what, are the, what, do you, what do y'all watch? Like the rest of you. What? Y'all haven't seen Princess Bride, Becky? Oh. My heart breaks for all of you people that, that don't know what to watch on television. Uh, princess Bride is amazing. Now, the princess, her name is Buttercup. But uh, I won't do any lines in the movie. Buttercup. So Buttercup is beautiful, beautiful princess. However, the person who falls in love with her is not a prince. He's the farm boy. We are not that far from Logan County. So y'all know about farm boys, right? He's a farm boy. He's walking around in Carhartt overalls, you know. He has nothing to look at. And ain't no way that prince is going to fall in love with farm boy. So that's how the movie starts, right? Farm boy loves the princess. Princess don't have any time for him. She don't even notice him. He's just a farm boy. But what does the farm boy start to do? What does he start to say? How does he win her heart? As you wish. Only words he ever speaks to her. Because she's all time wanting stuff, you know? All time wanting something. And every single time she asks for something, what does he say? As you wish, as you wish, as you wish. You understand? This is what we're talking about. That's the attitude we're talking about here, farm girl, farm boy. Comes to Jesus, you're just, you know, three words, as you wish. You don't have to agree to obey. You don't have to understand to obey, but you do have to obey to obey. Whatever you say, Lord, as you wish. And then the words from Jesus, I love it. Verse 10, Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid from now on. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people from now on. These words, I hear three words, from now on. Those words are powerful and liberating when Jesus says them to you. And Jesus says them to you. He says them to you. Now, Jesus loves this kind of thing. Jesus is all about the transformation business. Anyone who's in Christ is going to become a new creation. This is what Jesus does. This is what he loves to do. And he can't wait to get his hands on you. Because from now on, it could be different for you. 
It's all Jesus does. This is what he does best. The very first time he met Simon, he did this mess. The first time he met Simon, what did he say? Yeah, I mean, Andrew says, Jesus, I'd like to meet my brother Simon. Simon, this is Jesus. And before Jesus can even say, hi, how do you do? What does Jesus say? Your name is Simon. That's a Hebrew name that has to do with hearing and listening. Your name is Simon, but from now on, you're going to be called Cephas. Now, Y'all can double check this, but I'm pretty sure that up to that moment, Cephas wasn't a name. Like people say, yeah, Jesus gave Peter a new name. He nicknamed him. No, I don't think Cephas was a name. I think it was a thing. Like it's not even really a name. It's just Jesus looks into Peter in that moment and he knows him. Cephas means what? Rock. You were Simon, but you, you shall be called Rock. It's not a name, it's a thing. But Jesus looks down into Simon's heart and he sees something stable. He sees something firm. He sees something he can build a kingdom on. He sees that from the beginning. Now, Simon ain't a rock yet. There's a whole lot that needs to be done in Simon's life. But Jesus is up for it, you understand? Jesus sees it from the beginning. This is what you are. But from now on, you shall be this. It's a new name. Jesus whispers in his ear and tells him his new name. It's amazing. And this is what he wants to do for you. This is what he does for you every time when you let him. From now on, those words will draw a line between the past and the future for you. And don't you need that? Don't you want that? Haven't you been trying for years to somehow escape all the things that have followed you from the past? The names you've been called, the names you've called yourself? Understand? I mean, who have you been? You've been wounded. You've been outcast. You've been lonely. You've been afraid. I mean, these are the names you understand. These are the names you call yourself. This is what you go by. You've been the tomboy that never fit in. You've been the sissy that never fit in. You've been the big girl that always ate away her shame. You've been the guy who never really understood how to love anybody. You've been the guy who's so angry. You've been anger. You've been depression, you've been anxiety, you've been fear. On and on and on it goes. You know what you've been, you know what you've been called, but you don't understand yet what you're gonna be from now on. That's who you were, but Jesus looks at you now and he whispers your new name and says, this is what you're gonna be. This is what you can be. You don't understand. When Jesus says these words, it's not just like a wish. It's not like he gives you a valentine. Jesus delivered these words with the power to change you. From now on, you don't have to live the life you've lived. And I'm not even saying this. you got to wait for it. Some of these things you could have right now. Some of you could go home today and have a different home life. You could go home today and be a different kind of man. You could be a different kind of woman. You could have a different marriage today. But you got to give it to Jesus. You have to give it to him. He will change your whole life. But you have to give it to him. If you say so, from now on. Those are the words that go back and forth. Everything changes from Simon after these words. Right here. Same as it could happen for you. Now, Simon was a full-grown man in Luke chapter 5. He was married, had a house, business, likely in his early mid-20s in his day, probably early mid-20s. But he's a full-grown man. 
all the major decisions had already been made. You understand? He, he, he settled on his career, settled on his wife, settled on his house. Understand? That's his life. It was settled. It was made until he meets Jesus. Now it's all going to be made new. That's what Jesus does every time. That's what he'll do for you too. I know you probably got a pretty good life some days. You don't understand the life that Jesus wants to give you. Make it all new, more glorious than you could ever imagine. He can whisper in your ear your new name. Change your life, but you got to give your life to him. Pray with me. Lord, you know better than we know where we've been, where we come from. You know what they've called us. You know what we call ourselves. You know, Lord, uh, every secret inside every heart. You know the ways, Lord, that we've tried to put on a different sort of face for other people, Lord, but you see the face behind the face, Lord. You see our hearts, and it's Terrifying in some ways to know that we are this well-known by you, that you can see us, that, that you can see parts of us that we can't see ourselves, or that you know every single darkened corner of our heart, Lord, you know you see. Help us, Lord, not to be afraid of that. Help us not to be afraid of your gaze, the holiness, the purity, the power of your gaze upon us, Lord. See us, know us, and teach us, Lord, not to be afraid. Because, Lord, you just don't see us as we are. You don't just see us as the mess that we're in, Lord. You see us for what we can become. You know what you put in us, and you know what you want to make us to be, Lord. So help us to understand the power and the possibility that comes when you see us and when we allow you to remake us. Lord, a lot of us feel like our lives have already been settled, Lord. The big decisions have been made. The big mistakes have been made, Lord. We are lying in the bed we made. We never even imagined that you could say those words. That's where you have been. But from now on, Lord, we've never imagined that from now on we could be somebody different. We, we could live a different kind of life. We could have a different kind of heart. If this is going to happen at all, Lord, it can only happen because you will make it happen. And if you're going to make it happen, Lord, you can only make it happen because we allow you to go to work, to remake us from the inside out. If you're going to do that, Lord, then we have to give you access to all of it. Lord, we confess we're really not very good at leaving everything. We're not very good at putting everything down, Lord. We have a really bad habit of putting it down and picking it back up again. Lord, you know us. You know how we are. But if you say so, if you say that if we just follow you, if we take this next step, if you just say that you'll take care of it, that whatever needs to be changed, you'll change. Whatever needs to be cleaned up, you'll clean up, Lord. If you're just, if you say so, then from now on, we want to walk with you. Help us to follow you. Lord, we're going to have a really difficult time. Lord, we're going to stray from the path. We're going to turn back. But Lord Jesus, 
stay with us. Bring us along. Everything that needs to change in us, Lord, change us. We just want to be the men, the women that you want to make us to be. Start today, Lord. From now on, remake us. Remake us by the power at work in your name. We pray in that holy name, Jesus. Amen.